If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. problem with drug accessibility online. We talk about what we see on the streets. We talk about safe supply and a whole variant of ways that you can gain drugs. But online is also gaining some traction as well. And the kids are now starting to find out that that is the way that they can get it delivered straight to their door. To talk about this, uh, I think there's some great insight coming your way. Mark Steinkamp, retired VPD sergeant and the executive director of Odd Squad Production Society. Mark, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to be on your show. Well, I think anytime we can shine light on this, I think it's a good thing, and not just for parents, but just, uh, you know, neighbors and everybody in general. I want to talk about just in its most basic terms, let's start at the foundation here. The access to drugs online, how big of a problem is it right now? Well, basically, ever since the internet's been around, there's been a means to have access to virtually anything whether it's uh, Suntown Lotion or illicit, dr- illicit drugs. Uh, historically, it was just accessible through the dark web or the black web, but now it, it, it is very much becoming mainstream, uh, mostly online from overseas, though. So it slips its way through customs and through Canada Post, and uh, that's uh, the way it gets to the end user. Yeah, Central America and China seem to be the two that are uh, identified the most online as problematic. But I want to talk about the filtration process. You touched on it. You said customs. You said Canada Post. How much do we have to hold their feet to the fire? Or is this really a needle in a haystack and it's almost too daunting for them to truly stop everything? Uh, I'm sure the staff there are doing the best that they can because uh, I'm sure a lot of those people have children and they take their jobs very seriously and professionally and their goal is to keep canadians safe so uh without opening up every package and having a dog sniffer uh, a sniff a drug sniffing dog out there and uh putting of the hundreds of millions of packages that come into canada it, uh, it really is a needle in a haystack I'm sure they're doing the best that they can. No, they are. I would agree with you on that front. I, I don't think it's something that we can really, you know, pound, you know, a desk and say, come on, guys, do better. It's just, I look at it and they're, they're bringing in 7.7 billion packages over the course of the year, which is far too much. Anyways, let's talk a little bit about your time with VPD. Obviously, you guys see so many things behind the curtain and it's not just on the downtown, you know, east side. It is across the lower mainland. Could you, and I know you've been retired for a little bit, could you paint me a picture of the challenges that maybe some of our listeners don't see? We see the stuff that makes the news, but what are the challenges that our current constables and officers are facing throughout the Lower Mainland when it comes to the drug trade and, and just trying to prevent this from growing? Well, that, that's not, uh, not uh, something that I can answer in just a few minutes. So the, the drug trade... Uh, throughout the world and not just the downtown east side has always been there whether it was uh, hundreds of years ago with different types of drugs but what we see in the downtown east side is 
is ever growing and ever changing. So uh, earlier in the uh, early in the century, it was all heroin for opiates, and you know, there'd be some some pharmaceutical in a pill form as well. But since it's changed to fentanyl, the the vulgarity of people's addictions is uh, is extreme. And most people are going to have a, a dual diagnosis addiction as well. So they'll have a fentanyl addiction and then they'll have a stimulant addiction. And, and that's probably going to be mainly methamphetamine and maybe some crack cocaine in what there as well. So it, it's not an easy answer uh, to, to help people there. But uh, I think that a, a uh, concerted effort to help people stop using with uh, uh, with treatment on demand and on the on the uh, where we started odd squad helping youth uh, um, not go down that road in the beginning give, give them knowledge you know you know not the old Nancy Reagan say no type <laughs> stuff yeah we know that doesn't really work but have knowledge KNOW and that's uh, very much where odd squad sits uh, we we focus on youth and uh, we uh, we mentor youth through some of the programs, whether it's our judo program or or woodworking or w- walking kids through the Duke of Edinburgh process or many of the other programs that we have. But the, the downtown east side, it, it is forever changing where the drug dealer will find the new type of drug. And, and remember, it is all marketing. So if a drug dealer can corner the market on something and for a person who's an addict, Nothing really matters. Uh, it, now I'm not. I'm talking about the people who are on the street and their drugs are very, or sorry, their their cycle of addiction is very extreme. Nothing else matters in their in their head but to feed that addiction, and they're they're not thinking straight. Uh, and of course, that can be coupled with uh, with mental health issues, which often it is. I've heard the number up to eighty uh, percent of the people who yeah. are living in that area have uh, have got a mental health condition as well as a drug addiction so frankly i you know i'm just a retired beat cop uh, i don't i don't know where to start yeah, I, I would imagine it's frustrating, but I think with the Odd Squad, and if you're listening and want to learn more about it, it's oddsquad.com. I think one of the things that I really appreciate you doing, Mark, is the fact that you've started with people in the sixth grade. You're starting with kids to try and educate them, not just on how addiction occurs, but uh, you know, even things like violence and, and gang life, things that I think really, as you get into high school, become available to these kids. Well, I think that for, for parents and mentors and coaches and, and uh, people who have got influence, positive influence on young people, it starts even before that. So we have to mentor children at, young, at a young age so they know what difference between right and wrong, healthy and unhealthy. And that's what we do uh, at Odd Squad. And we've just actually just instituted a, a bully education program as well. So we're even going below that. We, we just came back from Williams Lake where we were invited up by the First Nations community up there to speak to their youth and, and uh, in town as well. So we're focusing on a lot of different things. It's on, on the truth about gangs and uh, substance use and vaping and nicotine and now bullying. And so our goal is to give youth... Um, uh, a, a level playing field as to where substances can, uh, uh, can lead them. And especially with their, their way that the young developing brains are so susceptible to everything. In, in the presentations I give, I, I often tell youth that if they do everything healthy, they sleep well, they eat well, they exercise, they educate themselves well, they'll develop to the best that they can. But if they start 
putting poisons and pollutants into their body, you know, maybe nothing will happen. But because the brain is so susceptible, maybe something tragic will happen. Maybe they might get addicted to nicotine and cigarettes or vapes or or the problems surrounding cannabis in the developing brain. And God forbid they venture into some of these harder drugs. And and, and I go back to the young the, uh, young kids as we mentor them. We need to give them strategies on how to deal with peer issues and peer problems and peer pressure. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty old, and I still get peer pressure. I just, I just know how to deal with it. And Mark, so, I think it's a great conversation point, and I really do thank you for coming on today. And the fact that you have started the Odd Squad or you know, you've made it available to the public is a big deal. And I love that you're actually putting boots on the ground and getting around the Lower Mainland and across the province for that matter. Thank you for the time today, and thank you for all the insight. I appreciate the opportunity. It's my Thanks. pleasure. You know, it has been an interest. I, I wonder if I had a reprieve right yet, and this is why this is a fantastic time to have this conversation. I wanted to get an update on the BC wildfires. Did the rainy weather actually help, and where are we at right now? Erica Berg, Provincial Wildfire Information Officer, kind enough to join us with BC Wildfire Service. Erica, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rob. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, and I, I just wanted to get the latest. I mean, have we seen a bit of a reprieve, or are we still fighting a big fight here? Yeah, good question. So we did see some uh, precipitation hit some of those uh, southern regions of the province, which did offer some reprieve in terms of um, seeing some lower fire activity, which uh, helps suppression efforts. But um, we've been across BC um, having uh, drought levels that uh, do go quite deep. And so a little bit of rain over a couple of days is, is great. Uh, to see and helpful in the short term. But uh, once that uh, weather system clears and we return to to some higher temperatures, um, then uh, we see that activity uh, grow back uh, quite quickly. Erica, how do you guys handle the the downtimes? And I don't want to say downtimes until every flame's been put out, but I mean, I feel like this is almost the calm before the next storm, not to use an off-use phrase, but have you learned anything from this go-around before we get to the dog days of summer? That's a good question. Um, it is an early start. Uh, that is fair to say. Uh, we're in a, kind of a level of activity that we typically don't see until July, um, sometimes even August. Um, and we've been going at it since about May. Um, so, yeah, definitely an early start. Um, we take our rest days when we can. We do really prioritize um and, and insist that, that people have sufficient time to rest um, so that, yeah, we can. I mean, we're going into at least um, three more uh, months of this. Um, so we're taking those rests when we can. I want to talk about and maybe explain to the listeners here just the face of those who are fighting these fires. I mean, I, I just I can't imagine the fatigue that they're already feeling. And yet there still are a couple of months ahead of us. But I've got so much respect. But can you tell us a story or uh, an individual that could really put a face to the efforts that you guys are putting into these fires? Wow. So we have so many people spread across the province um, and not only responding in terms of, quote unquote, boots on the ground and in terms of firefighters, but um, also a lot of support staff that work behind the scenes. We have people in logistics that get the equipment to folks and and book their hotels and um, 
help with uh, transportation and we have plans, we have uh, people like myself getting the information out to the public and and to the media. And so um, a variety of different roles that make this organization run. Um, And yeah, it's it's definitely a group effort and looking ahead, we're, we're kind of in it for the long haul. And what could people do? Like, I think there's a lot of people listening that want to help in some way, shape or form. And you'll always get the obligatory, well, you can call the Red Cross or you can donate to, you know, insert charity here. But what can we do to help you guys in in preparation for what looks to be a busy summer? Totally. I love that question. Um, There are a lot of things folks can do, I think, for their own benefit is is look at their own property and and their homes and and see um, if it. Uh, is uh, fits what we would consider a, a fire smart home. So there are a lot of great resources online. So in the event that a wildfire may impact your property, your community, um, feeling just that one step further in terms of an, uh, assurance that your property will uh, be be protected. Um, as well, we really do ask folks to um, heed our, our recommendations Um and our prohibitions, our, our area restrictions, all of that can be found on our website under fire bans and, and restrictions. Uh, area restrictions or fire prohibitions, we do not take those lightly. We put them into effect when they are um, most needed and, and, and best used. And so we just ask, ask folks, especially getting into these um, uh, months where we typically see more lightning-caused starts, uh, to really be careful with any activity that could spark a wildfire and to uh, be aware of what which regional district you fall under, which which local government, so that if uh, uh, governments are trying to get information out to folks in the event of, say, an evacuation order and, or alert, that um, you know where that information is coming from and who you can trust best. Well, I know there's a couple of forest fires that are still burning out through the region, but I think I just wanted to bring you on today just to say if you could tell everybody that's fighting these fires that we're with you. There's a whole city. There's a whole province behind you. Take a deep breath. I know it's going to be a long summer, but we got your back, and thank you for doing everything that you guys do. Really appreciate that, Rob. Thanks for taking the time. No problem. There she is, Erica Berg, stopping by with the Provincial Wildfire Service. Uh, wildfire Service, pardon me. Uh, it is daunting. And I think one of the things, and she hit the nail right on the head, our season started really early. So even though we got some rain here across the province that have kind of, you know, taken it from being the lead story to maybe three or four on the depth chart, what we bring to you every day, you know we're going to be talking about this again in July and August and dare I say September. So I'm so happy, even though there are still fires burning, some not even contained, that certain forest fires are getting, uh, I guess firefighters, pardon me, are getting a chance to step back, collect themselves, knowing eventually they're going to have to go back into the brush and continue to fight the good fights. I just wanted to give them a few words of positivity to let them know that we all appreciate the effort that they're doing. You know, it was a conversation that we had right out of the gates because I think it's a story that we really need to stay on top of. And, uh, you know, we can talk about fires or border crossings and we'll touch on those throughout the show as well. But one story that I think really hits home for a lot of us here is the accessibility of deadly drugs online. I mean, the stories are heartbreaking. You hear of so many British Columbians, Vancouverites that are really struggling with addiction. And I think one of the things that even surprises me after all the years that I've been in this industry is just how accessible drugs are. And then you add the online element to it. 
to talk about this more. Guy Felicella, harm reduction and recovery expert. Guy, that's uh, good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. Well, you have such an interesting story about how you've been able to fight through addiction yourself. You've lived on the downtown east side. So before we get into the technical aspects of getting a drug online, can you talk to me just about how this affects those in your community? Well, I, I mean, it's it's got a tremendous impact just, just because, you know, it's so accessible. I mean, this is it's not new. I mean, this is, you know, something that's been... Uh, going on for for years uh, in our society, it's just now starting to to, to come to the, the talk of things. But you know, as as long as there's been uh, you know a click of the button on things, uh, you know, the damage that it causes obviously is the accessibility for people to access these drugs, and then you know if they do develop a dependency from it. Um, and two, these are you know. Um, often, you know, illicit drugs as well. So you still don't know what's in those substances. And so, you know, if you are ordering them, then, you know, you really need to, to, to check them uh, through drug checking services. Otherwise, um, you know, the outcome can be fatal. Uh, maybe it's my naivete guy, but can you walk me through the process of, say, let's say I ordered something online. Where would I go to check to see if those drugs are good or if they've been, uh, you know, tainted? Well, I, I mean, you can, like, uh, get your drugs tested. Th- these are, unfortunately, like, drug testing isn't um, that accessible in all our communities. And so, obviously, the downtown east side has many drug testing sites, and there's a few in the Fraser Health region as well. Um, but, like, the further you go, there, there's, you know, really nothing uh, available for uh, people to get access to it. So, you know, they just they order them and... Um, and use them. And so that's the unfortunate thing. I mean, we really need to, you know, ramp up services for, for all this, uh, you know, like at music festivals, uh, they'll have drug checking there for people to check their substances just because, you know, most people want to go to a music festival and take some MDMA or, you know, some ecstasy and, um, you know, make sure that there's not fentanyl in it. And then there's obviously people who wouldn't need so much drug checking services just because, you know, they're using fentanyl and they know what they're buying is fentanyl now. So, yeah, it's just, you know, needs to be more uh, ramped up. Well, it, I was I was speaking a little bit earlier with a former VTB, a VPD constable, and he was talking about the fact that, you know, it, it's a tough battle. It's not pill battle. And he mentioned Canada Post and he mentioned the Border Patrol. And there's really only so much you can do. But you had a tweet just a couple of moments ago before you came on with me. And you said, and I, and I thought it was great, and I didn't feel like it was tongue-in-cheek at all. You said that the, the way to deal drugs at times can even be easier than getting something off of Skip the Dishes. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, you, sometimes you can go online and find out that the source is close to your community, click the button, they'll go go meet you anywhere. Uh, or you have, you know, uh, dial-a-dope operations or Snapchat or, you know, there's just so many avenues for people um, to access these substances. And yes, it can be quicker than ordering, you know, pizza. Um, you know, there, this is, but like I said, this has been something that's been going on for quite some time. And he's, you know, the, the officer that you had on is right. I mean, the amount of packages that go through Canada post, uh, every single day or even Amazon. I mean, it's just, it's so overwhelming that there's just no way that you can stop drugs from entering the, the country. And so, 
you know, what do you do? Um, this is the thing where I think you have to, you know, use proper education. I mean, because that's been a debacle trying to keep drugs out of, you know, Canada when we can't even keep drugs out of the prison industry. Yeah. So, you know, drugs that people want to access can access. That's that's the reality of our society. If people want drugs, they can get them anywhere anytime and get them delivered either that day that half hour or within a couple days it's in your hands what do you say to people that say we got to be tougher on crime do you think that that's just banging the drum but nobody's going to be there to answer it i mean education obviously to me is the ace in the proverbial deck but do you think because the, the the penalties and the fines are so light that nobody's scared to take the chance yeah, I, I disagree with that. Even in my own life, I was in and out of the prison system for so long. There was mandatory minimums. You know, but the, the reality is, is when you're in that world, um, you know, you often don't really, uh, you know, you don't care. Uh, you know, you're struggling yourself. And so, you know, putting more penalties in place is really going to, you know, um, you know, set us, set us back. I think education is, is the key uh, not just, you know, for through high schools, universities, you know, public forums, uh, and obviously, you know, to protect the public. And you got to remember, too, that uh, there's a lot of complex issues in our society that haven't been addressed. But, yeah, I mean, you know, people do go to jail or prison for selling drugs. The thing is, is that try catching them. Um, so it's not like that's a deterrent. Like, people are pretty sophisticated in how they sell their substances. It's an interesting story, Guy. I, I mean, I feel like you and I could talk for the rest of the show, and, and really, we'd still have questions at the end of it. But thank you for shining even just a little light on this and for making sure that we understand that education remains at the forefront. I appreciate your time today, Guy. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Have a great evening. You know, I worked in communications for 15, 16 years. And one of the things that I learned is, you know, for example, I worked in baseball and there's baseball speak, right? So, you know, six, four, three, double play. Some people know it. Some people have no clue. And the reason that I bring that up is communication is so important. And I've come in and I filled in for almost every host over the last couple of weeks as, you know, people enjoy some of their vacations and what have you. And one of the things that I noticed was when we were getting our wildfire updates, I didn't understand the term hectare. And, and I think that counts. Like if somebody says there's a fire burning and, you know, it's like 80 hectares. So I don't know what that means. And I thought, you know, maybe because I'm used to centimeters, kilometers, what have you. And so I started asking around and I'm like, am I the only guy? So when you're walking the halls at CKNW, you don't have to go far. You'll always find a good conversation. Show contributor Jerry Mayer Judson. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. I think I called it Judson. Yes. Yes. So I want to I, I got to ask you this. I approached you a couple hours ago and I said, Mm -hmm. I I have a question for you. And I said, do you know what a hectare is? And I definitely did not. I could not readily call to mind. I could not visualize uh, a hectare. And that's, I thought that it was smaller than an acre. Uh, Get this. Turns out I'm wrong. Turns out I'm wrong. Well, I did. You know what? (laughs) Well, see, this is the problem here. Acre. Some of the younger generation might not understand that either. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was it was engaging to me because, for example, you hear about this fire, Tumbler Ridge, four hundred and twenty five, four hundred thirty hectares, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, how big is that? 
Do you want? Do you want me to give you an example of how big a hectare is? I would. I've got it. So okay. So first of all, hold in your mind. It is one thousand meters by sorry, hundred meters by hundred meters in a square. A perfect square hectare is hundred meters by hundred meters. So a hectare is roughly, if this helps, uh, you know, the grassy area inside of a four hundred meter running track. Yes. It's like the grassy area is a hectare. Basically, well, interesting. Yes. So we hear this Tumbler Ridge fire, yes. and they said it's about what four hundred eighty hectares. Yes. So I did some research, mm-hmm. and that's half of Stanley Park. Half of Stanley Park, which is not like a g- no area is good to be on fire, but it does put it into perspective, definitely. So this was one of the things, and, and, and thank you for coming on because oh, I just <laughs> I, I was going to sit here and talk, and, and you know it's usually just me going on about rambling about something. But I just I thought, you know, maybe the, maybe it's a younger generation thing because <laughs> I I asked both my kids the mm-hmm. exact same question earlier today. I'm like, do you know what a hectare is? And both of them said no. <laughs> I think we need I think we need to, te- to teach hectares in schools. We need to like and maybe maybe they use hectares because you can easily say hundreds of hectares. And it does. It sounds very dire, which communicates that a wildfire is incredibly dire, because if you said four kilometers, four square kilometers or something, yeah. it depends on who you ask. If you think four kilometers in distance, it doesn't sound that big. Well, you know, I don't mean to bring it up and say, you know, damn to the old people that are using terminologies <laughs> that I'm not, you know, familiar with. But I just thought in communicating the severity of something or the size of something, you know, scope is important. Scope mm-hmm. to me matters. And somebody said, well, it's the size of greater Vancouver. Well, now I'm saying, okay, well, this is a giant fire. Mm-hmm. But it was just, it was interesting perspective. And when you think of what's going on over on the island, the closure of Highway 4, this isn't necessarily the biggest of fires. It just strategically is in a place that's of real inconvenience. So yeah. It was engaging. So it brought me to my next question, which was something that I brought up in a previous uh, segment earlier today. Phrases that, you know, we could probably do without moving forward. For example, Todd Bertuzzi, the great Vancouver Canucks, said, it is what it is. Right. Which, you know, people are like, ah, we could probably do without. And I th- it was actually Jeff O'Neill that was coming up with this thought process. When, I, when I'm struggling for news, that's how I go to, Jeff O'Neill. <laughs> but... It was, it was something that made me realize the phraseology and the terminology of things that we use. Could do without it. Well, it's- there's certain generations that get down with it, and then there's certain generations that don't know what I'm talking about. Very much so. Get down with it is one right there. That's very true. Own. If you want to spice up, it is what it is. I suggest, if you want to make it a little different, you can spell the word. This is, this is something I saw on the internet years ago that you reminded me of. You can say it in Spanish, and you can spell the word socks. S-O-C-K-S. It is what it is. If you want to spice up your it is what, what it is if you're over it. Spell the word socks and you say it is what it is in Spanish. S-O-C-K-S. It is what it is. I feel like I've just learned something. Others, honorable mentions, go to say la vie. Ooh, yes. Uh, another one says, it's like I always say. Oh, boy. See? And true that, which I think <laughs> is, a, is a younger thing for sure. Oh, I love saying true that. Oh, do you actually? You use true that in everyday vernacular? I do. Wow. <laughs> Textually, absolutely. Like, oh, yeah, true that. <laughs> if you're driving around saying, boy, I've never said that, you're... You're with me. I have never said that as well. <laughs> but yeah, we were talking about using proper speak to magnify the effect of what it is that you're battling. Mm-hmm. And I just, I thought Force Fires was a fantastic example of utilizing a, uh, what is it? I guess the Imperial versus the metric? It is metric. Hectares is a metric measurement. Is it actually? Yeah, 100 meters by 100 meters. Really? Mm-hmm. 
So it is a weird metric measurement that we're just not used to in our hybrid because we discuss distance and square things in, in, in hybrid ways between metric and imperial. But it is a metric unit used to express area. Easy. There, yeah, and you know what? I will say this to everybody driving around. She looked me straight in the eye. She did not read that <laughs> off of chat GPS or GPT or whatever it's called. So centimeter. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got millimeter, centimeter, mm-hmm. meter. Mm-hmm decameter yep. and then kilometer or yes but why do we not call it kilometer or should we i mean i guess just because it's area versus distance and i don't know why we make the distinction i don't, Rob. Know, either. I don't know either yeah it's a trick question i'm surprised you even try to answer well thank you i appreciate you helping me do thank this you. because i wanted to i wanted to do like a little bit of research mm-hmm. and just make sure that i wasn't off my rocker totally in saying this but yeah there's a lot of fires out there and i didn't know the terminology. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't alone. No, God, See, no. See, we're both better for this now. Thank goodness. True that. <laughs> True that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.